<clears throat> well, good morning. Um, so, we're not starting a new series this week. In fact, we're going to um, wait for a little bit. I'm going to I'm researching on a topic that I, I want to do uh, our next sermon series on. So until then, uh, I'm just going to cover some topics. They're probably going to be across the board, uh, but they're all going to be relevant in the wake of our, our last sermon series that we've done. Now, the last couple of series that we've had on Sunday mornings were focused, of course, the last one on what we believe or why we believe and the things that we believe. Um, uh, before that, lessons that we can learn and apply from the minor prophets, and then uh, before that, the commands of Christ. And in each of those series, and really since I started preaching here um, almost two years ago, um, I've been pushing and encouraging you, hopefully, to start spending more and more time studying deeper into the Word through personal and private Bible study. And the more I talked about it, the more I thought about, well, maybe we should talk about what these personal Bible studies are, what these personal devotionals are, why should we have them, how do we have them, and do we have examples of them in the Bible? So let's start there. Where do we find these personal, private devotional times in the Bible. And so we're going to start off at the beginning, sort of, uh, turn over to Genesis chapter 24. Uh, there are several great men in the Bible that, uh, that were known to spend time devoted to God. And that's really what a devotional is. It is a time spent devoted to God. Devotion is the, the root of that word. And Isaac is recorded as going out into the field in the evening to spend time with God. Look down at verse 63 of uh, Genesis chapter 24. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Now, he didn't go out into the field to pray for camels. Of course, if you continue reading the chapter, this is where Rebekah comes to him, and he takes her as his wife. So, um, we have Isaac, who spent time, he would go out in the field alone to meditate. Um, turn over to Psalm chapter 63, or Psalm 63, if you will. Now, David prayed three times daily, and we see this in Psalm chapter 55, verse 17, and, and elsewhere, throughout Psalms, throughout Kings, throughout Chronicles, but in the 63rd Psalm, David says this, verses 5 through 8. He says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Meditation and praise, things that we have seen now from two great men in the Bible, uh, are just a few of the things that we should be doing in our daily devotionals. And we'll talk about more about that in a few minutes. Now turn over to Daniel chapter 6. Now, many of you know my appreciation for Daniel. Um, and one of the many exemplary things that we have of his life is his devotion to God. And specifically for this study, his devotionals to God. And just as we saw with David, Daniel's custom, his practice, what was customary to him was that he would pray three times a day. Look down at verse 10 of chapter 6. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. 
So, if you know the story that's going on here, of course, the, there were men who had plotted against Daniel to, to try and get him out of their way, and so in doing that, they set up this, this law that uh, the King Darius signed into law that would basically forbade anybody praying to any other god except Darius. Um, and so, they knew that they would catch Daniel doing this, and even in the face of death, which the punishment would be to be thrown into the den of lions, um, even in the threat of death... Daniel still devoted time to God. He still took the time and he stuck to his habits. It would ultimately lead to him being thrown to the lions, of course, as you know, likely know the story. And we can only assume that Daniel's devotion to God continued uh, as he faced the lions within that den. And his praise to God after emerging unscathed is evidence to his undying devotion to God, pun intended. Um, now that whole scenario led to Darius, King Darius, uh, developing some belief in the one true God. And I think that's number one, or our number one application this morning. Your devotionals to God can help develop the kind of attitude and resemblance that Christ spoke of when he referred to us as being the light, as being the salt of the earth. And as that develops, our impact, our influence in the world can become stronger, which hopefully will aid in bringing more to belief in Christ and ultimately into his kingdom. And speaking of Christ and his example that he gave us to be lights in a dark world, Jesus himself presents several examples of having personal devotionals, including some instruction as well. Turn over to Mark chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'll note that in um, Luke chapter 6 verse 12, Jesus uh, went out to the mountain and he went out to pray all night. Uh, the disciples were sleeping, but all night long he spent on the mountain in prayer, in devotion to God. And when he, <coughs> excuse me, when he returned in the morning from the mountain, that was the moment in which he called twelve disciples out and named them apostles. This was a major decision that Jesus was going through, and he spent the entire night in prayer and meditation. The last time that you made a major decision in your life, did you take time like Jesus did? Did you take time to seclude yourself, to pray, to, to meditate, and to praise Him? Now, maybe you didn't have time because of all the other things that were going on in your life. But Jesus was a busy guy, but He still made time to spend with God. And we have a, an example of that here in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus didn't just take time at night to do these things. That wasn't his custom. You know, Daniel and David, they had their customary three times a day. And as we see throughout Psalms, David also had a custom of spending the night watches, as it was called, in meditation on, on God's word. And we'll look at that again um, in, a, in a few minutes. But here in, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus, um, he took, he found the time to fit into his schedule, to fit into his day, to spend time with God. Look down at verse 35. <clears throat> And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus had a, a pretty, day, pretty busy day planned ahead of him, and he knew that there wasn't going to be a whole lot of time to dedicate the time that he needed to in personal, private devotion to God. And so he got up, the sun rose before the sun, to go spend time with the Father. 
He was so devoted to this personal time that, to God that someone actually had to come to him and say, Hey, Jesus, it's time to go, man. Jesus gave us examples in how he devoted himself to God by finding the time, by finding the place to seclude himself. He also encouraged his disciples to do the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, where he says, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So do you pray in secret? Do you take time with God in private? All of these examples that we have here lead us to talk about why we need to have personal, private devotions. What's the purpose of them, and how do we do it? So let's uh, first examine why, and then we'll address the how. Why should we have personal devotions? And something that we see reflected throughout Scripture is the need for man to draw near to God. Turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Drawing near to God is one of the many reasons why uh, one is baptized into Christ. It's a unity. We are become one with Christ. Uh, because by humbling ourselves to this point of obedience, we are drawing near to God by joining ourselves with His Son. And we talked briefly about how David's devotions to God uh, a few minutes ago, and now here in First uh, Chronicles chapter 28, we're going to look at David's parenting a little bit and how he uh, encourages his son or advises his son Solomon uh, the things that he should do regarding his devotions. Look down at verse 9 of First Chronicles chapter 28. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So, we draw near to God because he is found by those who seek him. Now, of course, this likely brings to mind the teaching of Christ in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, seek, and knock. David tells his son that God is found by those who seek him, but the opposite is quite dire. It says those who forsake him will be cast off. Second Chronicles chapter 15, verses 2 through 4, reflects this teaching, and this time it is echoed by Azariah as he addresses King Asa in the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And he says, starting in verse 2 of Second Chronicles chapter 15, he says, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him, He was found by them. Now an interesting question of reflection that I find here is this. Are you only turning to God in times of distress? Is it only when you have a need for Him, or a request, that you go to Him, or seek Him? Times of distress will come, but as James says in uh, chapter 1 of his letter, times of distress will come, but count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of many kind. And James goes on in verse 5 of chapter 1, and he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Without God's wisdom and the knowledge that we find in his inspired word, one cannot overcome trials in ways that lead to joy, that lead to the production of steadfastness, which of course leads to strengthening 
of their faith. We'll talk about more on that in a minute as well. But if you turned over to James, um, you don't have to, but if you're there, chapter 4, uh, we study the entire book of James, of course, entirely uh, throughout a Sunday evening sermon uh, series several months back. And this book is full of helpful uh, teachings that are applicable to strengthening one's faith and drawing closer to God. In chapter 4, James is admonishing those who care more about being worldly, something that we talked about in our class this morning in Philippians. They're focused more on the fleshly things and not the spiritual things. James says to them, starting in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. If one does not regularly draw near to God in devotions to and with Him, they can easily fall into the same pitfall that James's audience had fallen, worldliness. But we must be striving daily toward godliness. We have numerous scriptures that tell us this. 1 John chapter 2, 15-17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, Father, or the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. By the way, those are the three categories of sin. right? The desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life, or pride of possessions. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We cannot do that without, being, without drawing near to Him, without finding those things in the Word. Because oftentimes the reason that we don't draw near to God is because we're too worried about what the world may think or we're too focused on the things of this world to make time to draw near to Him. But it's necessary to receive spiritual nourishment. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter, three, or chapter 8 verse 3 when He teaches in Matthew 4, 4 that man cannot live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bread provides physical nourishment to a soul or, or to a uh, to a dying fleshly body but the word of god provides nourishment to a soul that is alive in christ and is promised life eternal and as jesus said it comes from the word of god something that peter reflects in first peter chapters 1 and 2 turn over to chapter 1 first actually it's just going to combine into one it's the end of chapter 1 right into chapter 2 I'm going to start in uh, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the, spiritual, the pure spiritual milk that by, by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Our 
rebirth, the gospel truth that many of us have obeyed, has come through the living word of God. We learn of that in God's word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God, the word of Christ. And in chapter 2, verse 2 there, I love this verse. It says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Have you ever heard that you need to grow up into salvation? Our salvation depends on spiritual nourishment. It doesn't just stop at baptism. It's a continuing process. There's a, when you are baptized, you are a spiritual infant. By what the Bible says. And you need to nourish yourself. You need to grow up in the Word of God and become mature. Um, our spiritual nourishment builds our salvation. And our godliness is what's important there, not our worldliness, as we talked about. If we do not grow in faith in the wisdom of God, then we remain infants in faith only. And God gives the birds their food, doesn't he? But he doesn't put it in their nests. And the same thing goes for us. He's given us the spiritual food that we need to spiritually mature, but we need to devote ourselves to getting it, to reading it, to meditating on it, finding those things in his word, in order to be nourished, which in, in turn leads to spiritual strength. Turn over to Psalm 119. We're going to spend probably the, the bulk of the rest of our time throughout Psalm 119. It is wrought with uh, just numerous teachings related to um, meditation on God's word. But as you're turning there, uh, I want to remind you of Paul's teaching that's related to the full armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6. You've likely heard this. Uh, starting in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the cosmic powers. Against the rulers. Against the authorities uh, over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Then he goes on, of course, to list all the pieces of the armor of God. You've got the belt of truth, the, bless, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of justice, the lasso of truth. I'm sorry, wait, that's Captain America and Wonder Woman. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, uh, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The only weapon that you have to battle against the devil, to battle against the darkness in this world, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is your only weapon. Everything else is armor, it's protection, it's defensive in nature. But the sword of the Spirit is the only thing that you have that is both offensive and defensive, so that you can fight off and defend yourself from Satan and his ways. If you're in Psalm 119, one of my favorite sections of Psalms is here in verses 9 through 11, but we're going to start in verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need God's help to fight our spiritual battles. Amen? We need that wisdom. And as we discussed in James chapter 1, 
For without it, the trials that we face will break our faith instead of strengthening it. And I speak from experience. Seven years ago today, my faith was broken. But the Word of God provides the help that we need to face every trial that this world can throw at us. And I hope we all desire a stronger spiritual life. And do you desire peace and stability in your life as well? This is something that only God's Word can provide also. This world is full of situations, trials, and the like that lead to anxiety. And devotions to God are not merely reading God's Word or storing it up in your heart. It also includes time spent in conversation with God, in both prayer and praise, in uh, meditating on His Word. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6-7, through 7, which we'll get to next week in our Sunday morning class. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is the only antidote to the anxieties that this world throws at us. God's Word, as Psalm 119, verse 105 says, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. That's verse 165 of Psalm 119. When we're devoted to God's Word and finding peace in Him through prayer, we can know our path and we can better stay on it. Now, I hope you see the importance of having personal devotions with God. We need to be taking the time to draw near to Him, to receive the spiritual nourishment that we need to be strong spiritually, and to find peace and stability in our earthly life that can only come from God. Because in this life, we should be striving daily to serve Him. Building a habit of daily, private devotions can go a long way in this. So how does one have personal, private devotions? The first and possibly the most important element of having successful personal and private devotionals is to find a time and place. It may seem simple on a granular level, but this is probably the biggest obstacle or excuse that many have or make in regards to their personal devotions to God. If you find ways to squeeze in an episode of your favorite show or a quick run or an extra 30 minutes of sleep, but you're not finding ways to make time for God, are you seeking Him or are you seeking yourself? Are you drawing near to the one who created the world that holds the things that you enjoy or are you drawing near to the things that you enjoy only? Time is important. We always say that there's not enough time in the day for the things that we want to do. There should be plenty of time in the day for the things that we need to do. And the time that you have your devotionals, of course, will vary depending on the things that are going on in your life. But the key to finding a good time is also finding a good place to have these times. For some, the only time of peace that you may have is late at night after the kids have gone to bed or early in the morning uh, before they get up. It's always a good day, I know, for me when I'm able to spend some time with God first thing in the morning. Gets my head straight. Gets me focused on the things I need to be focused on the day. There's a sign in our kitchen that Sarah got. It says, all I need today is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. And some of the most popular Instagram posts are that of an open Bible and a cup of coffee uh, right next to the Bible. As cliche as it is, they have a routine. And they are making a habit of spending time with God. The place may vary as well. Jesus' example in Mark 1 uh, verse 35 that we read earlier, Jesus preferred outside. 
Often, he would go into the garden, he would go up in the mountain, he would go out in the wilderness. Some of the best devotional times that I've had are out in the woods, away from noise, away from the hustle and bustle of life, so that I can just seek him and be with him in his undisturbed creation. And it's incredibly uplifting. And uh, if you ever get the opportunity to do it, do it. I guarantee you it will not disappoint. Uh, of course, inside works as well. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 that we talked about earlier, Jesus uh, encouraged his, his disciples to pray privately behind closed doors. And that speaks to the key element, really, of the place. The place for your devotions should be a solitary place that is free from distractions of the world, somewhere that you can focus on your devotions. And once you find a good place and a good time, stick to it. Build a habit. Habitologists, which I'm sure is their official, unofficial name, have said that uh, it takes 21 days to make or break a habit. So aim for 30. Aim for 30 days of constant devotion in the same time, in the same place. And after that 30 days, I think you'll quickly find that you'll be longing for those times. And if you ever miss it, you'll be missing it. You'll go about your day and say, something's different today. Oh, I didn't take time with God this morning. So when you find the proper time and the proper place for your devotions to God, then what? What do you do during this time? Uh, I'm going to break it down into three simple categories. Pray, meditate, and praise. First and foremost, come before the Lord in prayer. In your prayers, be thankful for your blessings. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 4, verse 2. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. In our prayers, not only should we be thankful for our blessings, one of those blessings, of course, being Christ and His sacrifice, we should also be confessing our sins to God and seeking His forgiveness, having faith that He is going to forgive them. And earlier, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 that we read, Paul's exhortation related to anxiety that prayer is the antidote. Within that teaching, he wrote, But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we've talked about the thanksgiving part, but this added piece is supplications. And these are the petitions to God for the things that you need. And, of course, forgiveness of sins would fit into that category of supplication. Additionally, take this time to intercede on behalf of others. Intercessions, if you'll remember from uh, our sermon series on prayer, these are requests uh, for the needs of others. Uh, Paul wrote to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. He said, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So take this time with God in prayer to lift up the needs of the church and those in need of God's providential care. Pull out the bulletin and pray for those who are on the, the, uh, the prayer list. Pray for the church and our work together, for the elders and their leadership. And pray for those who are leading you in your job, your supervisor, your boss, your CEO, and those who are, of course, in charge within our government. Prayer is an important part of the life of a Christian. And devoting yourself to this time daily, not just at mealtimes, not as a checkbox, but as a time of one-on-one -on -one prayer with God, it should be something that you desire to do. Because then it's, it's a step in the positive direction for spiritual maturity and nourishment. In our personal and private devotions, we should also strive to spend time 
in meditation to contemplate the things that we find in God's Word. Of course, along with meditation, we should be reading God's Word so that we can meditate on what it is we're reading. The psalmist, again in chapter 119, verse 15, wrote, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 25, he wrote about meditating even in the face of evil plots against him. Verse 48, he wrote, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Meditation, as I said before, is an important part, uh, an important piece of this long and thorough Psalm of 119. Uh, Verses 97 through 99, uh, that reads, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me... Uh, wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. In verse 148, the psalmist reveals that his meditations on God's promise keep him awake at night, so he could go meditate all the more. So he said. So as you go throughout your day, do you contemplate on the things that are found in God's word? If not, then are you taking time devoted to do such things? If not, then as I hope this lesson is encouraging, find the time and the place to do it. For the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 So as you meditate on the things written in God's word, contemplate on God himself and his character as the psalmist indicated in Psalm 63, 6 that we read earlier. And think about the majesty and perfection of his creative and redemptive works. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds, Psalm 77, verse 12. God created everything, and in his creation he created man, and desired for a relationship with man because he saw that it was good. He walked with them in the garden, and then when man sinned and broke that, broke that barrier or actually built the barrier, if you will, Um, God departed. But then he sent his only son to earth so that all who believe in him and obey could be reconciled to God. The more I think about that, the more that I sit in awe of the love and mercy that that our Lord has for us. We are wretched, sinful lovers of self in the world by default. Right? We talked about that this morning. It's been that way since Adam and Eve. But he devoted so much to bring us back to him. Are we giving as much of ourselves to reciprocate that love and devotion? Are we contemplating whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable? If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, we should think about these things, as Paul wrote to the Uh, Philippians in chapter 4, verse 8. These are all things that we should focus on during our private time devoted to God. Not, uh, Not of things of this world, but things of righteousness. And lastly, Paul exhorted the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 19, to sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. And what we saw from David, that he would praise God. This is something that we should be doing in our personal devotions as well. Whether you're singing the praises alone, out loud, in your head, or with recorded songs, whatever you do, are you cheerful, then sing praise. James wrote in chapter 5, verse 13. Singing is a natural response to the joy that we have in the Lord. In your time with God, talk to Him. 
through prayer and through praise, and listen to him by contemplating his word. There's a Christian satire site called the Babylon Bee. They write some pretty humorous articles related to false teaching, Christian hypocrisies, etc. There was one article not too long ago that was headlined, Man sitting literally three feet away from Bible asks God to speak to him. And there are many who believe uh, that God still speaks audibly to us today. And there are even more who claim to have heard it, and there are others who are actively seeking to hear his voice. But God speaks to us through his word. Hebrews chapter 1, the very opening of that book tells us that. But are we reading his word? Are we listening to the words that he's given to us? The words that he's speaking to us through his son, through his inspired word, are we listening In the world that we live in, we are surrounded by sin and darkness. There are so many things that can lead to our lives being filled with stress and anxiety. Things that can and will pull us away from God and the things that are good and wholesome. But when we take time for private devotions in our lives, it will help us in walking closer with our Father in Heaven. It will also help us to have a stronger heart of faith and peace of mind to do God's will and combat the darkness that we have in this world. As we've seen several times this morning, David, a man after God's own heart, Daniel, a devoted man of God who survived and and thrived in a godless society where others were killed, and Jesus, the Son of God himself, found it essential to spend time alone with God. How much more should we be doing the same? I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged this morning to start a new habit of daily personal, private devotionals between you and God. Or maybe you already have that habit built, and maybe this is a good refresher for you. But if you need help in finding out how to have a private devotional or a personal devotional, I and the elders are always here to assist you. There are wonderful devotional books that are out there. There are wonderful devotional Bibles that are out there to help you uh, along, that, along the way. Now this morning, of course, we're here to help you along the way as well. If the church can assist you with any need that you have, be it through prayer, through study, or by other means, or of course if you wish to be baptized for the remission of your sins, reconciling yourself to the one who created you and created this world, then now is the time that you can come forward while we stand and sing.